nice to be together on the 26th of March, 2023. And if you have a Bible, would you open with me to John chapter 21? I am excited about this morning. I didn't introduce myself. My name is Trevor, um, and I'm the lead pastor here at Risen. And this morning, we are finishing the Gospel of John. Uh, we have been working through the Gospel of John for off and on for about five years now, and we will finish the Gospel of John. This is the last sermon in the Gospel of John, and it's in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. As a church, most of our sermons are walking through verse by verse um, the books of the Bible or sections of text, and uh, John has been a joy and I'm excited about finishing this with you tonight, So uh, this morning. So uh, John chapter 21 is where we will open up to. Uh, I want to speak this morning about, well, the text, obviously, but also about, um, about failure. And so the title of my sermon this morning is that failure isn't final, and failure isn't final. So let's um, first look at the text, and then we'll spend some time together this morning unpacking it. This is John chapter 21, starting at verse 15. Um, if as you're reading this, you're not sure of the context, don't worry, we will we'll add the context in a minute. But this is John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lamb. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know Everything, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself 
could not contain the books that would be written. This morning we find ourselves, uh, after last week, where the disciples are fishing with, uh, with by, uh, seven of them are fishing together and Jesus appears on the beach and asks them to lower their nets and to pull out, after a night of failure, a ton of fish. And after all those fish come forward, John says to Peter, that's Jesus, and Peter jumps in the water and swims to Jesus, and they arrive, and they have breakfast together, and we looked at this text last week, and now in John 21, we deal with the elephant in the room. We come to a moment where Jesus is going to address Peter's failure. Failure. There's lots of people who have failed throughout history. The history is just riddled with personal failure, professional failure. Turn on the news each night, we see failure. One of my new favorite stories about failure involves a guy named James Howells. James Howells, in 2009, purchases 8,000 Bitcoin. He purchased it for the low price of $1,000. $1,000 bought 8,000 Bitcoin and put it on a hard drive. James Howells lives in southern Wales. And he had a hard drive that was about the size of a phone. And he had another hard drive that was identical. One of the hard drives had 8,000 Bitcoin on it. And James Howells threw it away. He threw away a hard drive with 8,000 bitcoins on it. It went to the landfill. He later realized the mistake that he had caused. And that hard drive with those bitcoins on it today are worth $220 million. He accidentally threw away $220 million. Even as of last year, he went to the landfill to ask if he could retrieve it. And they said, no, you can't just start digging through all of the landfill. And so he has come up with a $12 million plan to get access to this landfill on the hopes that he will find this hard drive. It's the greatest treasure hunt that we've ever seen happening right now as there's a hard drive in some landfill in southern Wales that has $220 million because he threw it in the trash accidentally. That's a big fail. That's a big failure, throwing away $220 million. Um, I think that we have other kinds of failures that we experience and that we, we go through. Um, we fail to keep our word or do what we say we're going to do. We fail strangers when they ask us to you know, consider something, uh, you know, consider, consider this great deal that we've got, and we go, I'll, I'll think about that, and we never actually mean to think about it. We fail ourselves. We make goals to ourselves, and we don't keep them. And you know what's good about that is if you don't tell anybody, nobody knows. We fail our, our work sometimes. We're, we do a job, and we say we're going to do something in our job, and we fail to do it, and we have our bosses that we fail. We fail our, our friends, and we fail our family. And sometimes we even fail God. 
I was thinking about this notion that James Howells throws away $220 million. And I was thinking about how that feels like a, just a massive failure. And yet I don't think that that failure is on the same level as the failure we're going to look at this morning. In John chapter 21, we deal with Peter and his failure. And if you don't know what his failure is, we'll talk about that in just a moment. So this is the outline for this morning in John 21. I want to talk about failure, qualification, responsibility, cost, and focus. That's how we'll spend our time. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to move around a little bit because that first section, failure, um, we need to kind of jump back because in order for John 21, this breakfast on the beach and Jesus asking Peter these questions, you need to kind of understand what went wrong. So in John chapter 13, uh, just a few chapters ago, um, Jesus is prepared to head to the cross. And in John 13, verse 36, Jesus says, um, or Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you'll follow afterwards. So Peter says, Jesus, where are you going? And, 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 John, and, and Jesus says, Peter, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but later you will. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said to Peter in verse 38, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter makes this bold claim. Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, lay down your life before the rooster crows. You'll deny me three times. He makes this bold promise. Lord, I'll give you everything. I'll give you my life. In Matthew, his response to Jesus saying that you'll deny me three times, in Matthew he says, even if I die, I'll never deny you. Sometimes we make promises to God. Sometimes we make special commitments to God to get out of things. You ever do that? God, if you get me out of this situation, I promise you, fill in the blank. God, hey, if you... If you, if you, if you get, let me do this, then I'll do this for you, and then hopefully you'll forgive me. Just give me another chance, God. I promise I won't, I promise I won't fail a second time. Give me another opportunity. Or maybe we, um, do you have this moment where you sometimes, you want something, and you doubt that God will give it to you, so you make a promise? God, if you give this to me, if you help me win the lottery, I swear I will be super generous with whatever you give me. Because we think that um, if we make promises like this, it will increase our chances of getting what it is that we want. Or sometimes we, we make promises because we feel like we need to pay God back. God, you did this for me, and so I promise I'll always be faithful to you because you've done so much for me, and so I'll never, I'll never deny you, right? We do these kinds of things. I'll never do this, Jesus. I'll never do this, God. God, I'll, I'll never make this mistake again. I'll never drink again. I'll never smoke again. I'll never do that thing again. I promise I'll give you my whole life. I will always honor you. That's what Peter says. I'll die, but I won't deny you, Jesus. That's in John 13. John 18, a text we looked at a little while ago, says something very different. In John 18... Verse 17, Peter is 
a distant away from Jesus. He can still see Jesus, but he's outside. Jesus is sort of inside this group. And a servant girl says to Peter, Peter, you're one of this man's disciples, right? And he said, I am not. Verse 18, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter was with them standing and warming himself. And then what happens? Verse 25, after he's standing warming himself, they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked him, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again, and at once a rooster crowed. Peter just hours ago had said, God, I, I, Jesus, I will I would die before I would deny you. And here he is. His death's not on the line. It's like his reputation is. But he's in this moment where his options are, I'm going to either, Jesus is off at a distance, and he's sort of, what's he going to do? And he just casually denies that he's with Jesus. And a rooster crows. He's a coward in this moment. He's a failure. He's more afraid in this moment of what others think of him than his Savior is. Peter denies him. The rooster crows. And I want you to hear this detail that Luke puts in his gospel when he tells the account. In Luke 22, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter denies The rooster crows, and he looks, and Jesus, in a distance, is making eye contact with him. The same Jesus that Peter said, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. And Jesus says, you will deny me. And Peter said, I would die before I'll deny you. Denies Jesus. The rooster crows. Jesus looks him in the eyes. Peter remembers, and Peter weeps bitterly and goes away. He's caught red-handed. Have you ever failed like this? Have you ever made a promise to God and then failed? Some of you have stopped being committed to God because you've you've made so many promises and failed so many times that you're not sure what to make of it anymore. Well, here we have Peter and Jesus. Peter's jumped into the water and he's back on the beach. Jesus was crucified. He is now resurrected. Peter and the disciples have met the resurrected Jesus. In fact, there's this little note in Mark 16 when Jesus is telling Mary to go tell the disciples that Jesus tells Mary, make sure you go tell the disciples I'm resurrected and go tell Peter. Why? Well, because what Peter must be thinking. In Luke 24, Jesus appears to Peter, but we don't know much about that conversation or if there's any conversation actually. But Jesus has been pursuing Peter. Again, he jumped into the water. He's eaten breakfast on the beach. And now here they are around a fire. When was the last time Peter was around a fire? He was denying Christ. Here he is around a fire. And here's this moment where it's like, let's talk about the elephant in the room. We were all there together when, Peter, you said you'd never deny him. And then you did. And it's time for Jesus to finally look at Peter and address his failure. 
John 21, 15 through 17. My second point is about qualification. They're around a fire in this familiar setting. And Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him the name that he first knew him as when they first met. He's bringing their relationship back to the beginning. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Now, why the more than these? I mean, it's because Peter was constantly bragging about how much he loved Jesus compared to everybody else. Peter's so brazen. Peter's so hot and cold. Peter's so, I, even if everyone denies you, I'll never deny you. That's Peter. And Jesus now says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? That's the question he asked Peter. What a question. He does not ask Peter, Peter, do you know how badly you messed up? He does not say, Peter, I told you so. He doesn't say, Peter, I hope you've been fasting pretty significantly given the size of your failure. He doesn't say, Peter, you feel awful about yourself? He just says, Peter, do you love me? That is the most important question. That question is the most important qualification for the Christian life. Do you love me? That is the question that God asks you this morning. In this room are people who I'm certain have failed God, feel like failures, have been running from God. And the question God asks you this morning and wants to ask you is one simple question. Do you love me? And look at Peter's response. He doesn't say, yes, I do love you more than everybody else. He doesn't say that. No, Peter has been humbled. He says, yes, I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus will ask him this question three times. Peter denies Jesus three times. How many times does Jesus ask him? Three times. So much so that it bothers Peter on the third time. It's not clear that Peter is picking up exactly what it is that Jesus is doing, but we get it. We get that Peter denied Jesus three times, and so Jesus is going to three times say, Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? And Peter's response each time is, I love you. I love you. I love you. Peter doesn't say, well, I mean, maybe I don't. I might love my reputation more than you. I might love my own life more than you. Or, or Peter doesn't say, I'm not sure that I do after what I've done. No, he says, this one thing I know for sure, I love you. You know that I love you. As a pastor, I get to encounter people who wrestle with their own standing before God. And I uh, like this series of questions that I think I first heard R.C. Sproul ask for Christians who are struggling with their standing before God. He asked them these three questions, and they're questions that you should consider. The first question is, do you love God perfectly? Now, if you know the Bible and you've read the Bible and you have any kind of relationship with God, your answer to that should be no. I don't. I don't love God perfectly. The second question is, do you love God as much as you should? This is trickier. 
Because I, we often know that we don't love God perfectly, but when we think about do we love him as much as we should, it forces us to recognize that, no, I don't love him as much as I should. But that third question is so important, and this is it. Do you love Jesus at all? Do you love God at all? And if you can answer yes to that question, then you can be assured of your standing with God. This is the question Jesus has for Peter, and it's the question he has for you. Do you love me? In John 8, Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. And Peter says, in the midst of his failure, he knows he's failed, he knows he's messed up, but he knows he loves Jesus. And he loves Jesus, not as he wants Jesus to be, but he loves Jesus as he is. Don't miss the importance of this point. A lot of people in our world love Jesus, but they love their version of him. Christians don't love Jesus perfectly, but we do love the Jesus who presents himself to us as the one who is the Son of God. Notice that in verse 17 on the third ask, Peter says, you, Jesus, you know everything. Why does he say that? Well, certainly part of the reason is there was a moment when Jesus said, you're going to deny me, and Peter said, I know myself better than you. I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus was right, and Peter was wrong. And Peter is convinced at this point, as he has been for a while now, that Jesus knows him better than he knows himself. People in our world love an undefined Jesus. Ask people what they think of Jesus. And you'll get high praise for Jesus the teacher. Jesus the prophet. Our Muslim friends love Jesus the prophet. Even our Buddhist friends have an appreciation for Jesus as a moral teacher. As the one who sets a good example. Our, our friends in our world, they love Jesus as the great example setter. But Peter loves Jesus as the resurrected son of God. He doesn't just love Jesus. He loves Jesus as he is. So when Jesus asks you this morning, do you love me? He's not asking if you love the version of him that you've created. He's asking if you love him as he is. I love that the question that Jesus asked Peter is not a question of doctrine. Do you love that? Peter, have you, do you have a theology degree? That's not the question. Peter, do you have your doctrine of the Trinity all tightened up so that there's no errors historically that would put you out of bounds with Christ? No, that's not the question. Those all things are important and good, but that's not the question. There are people who obsess over knowledge, but knowledge, as Paul says, puffs up, love builds up. We are called to be lovers of God, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. In that order, Peter will forever remember being asked the question three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Jesus wants that to be his memory, not do you know him, 
Do you know him? Do you know him? Now, as Christians, Jesus says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love him, you will do what he asks us to do, and you will learn to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. But everything flows down from that most essential question. Do you love me? That is the most important qualification for the Christian life. Third, responsibility. Also in 15 through 17, notice here that what Jesus does is he gives Peter something to do. He gives him a responsibility and not a small one. After each question, do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus hears Peter's response and then gives him something to do. And this is not a small task. Jesus is saying to Peter, these people are my people, and Peter, I am entrusting their care to you. Feed them, care for them. They mean a lot to them. I'm entrusting them to you. I mean, this is unreal. You're entrusting them to who? Peter? Peter? Like, didn't we just go through this? He says he'll never do something, and he does it. Why is Peter given this job? He hasn't earned it. He doesn't deserve it. And he appears to be unqualified. But he has the most important qualification. He loves Jesus. You know, what Peter does is different from what Judas does. But they both deny and betray Jesus that night. The difference between Peter and Judas, one of the differences between the two of them, is Judas does not love Jesus, but Peter does. Jesus calls Peter unqualified, unfaithful. I can do this. I'm a total mess up Peter. He calls Peter to care for his people. And that task given to Peter is a task that's given to all of us who are Christians. God calls you to care for and to feed those who are entrusted to your care. But the most important qualification for doing that well is love of Jesus. You want to be a good parent? You want to be a great parent? Make love of Jesus the most important thing. You want to be a great husband? You want to be a great wife? Make love of Jesus the most important thing. You want to be a great boss, a great business owner, a great employee? Make love of Jesus the most important thing in your life. That is the most important thing. Because when you make Jesus the most important thing and loving him the most important thing, you will see your need for grace, and you will see his abundant gift of it in your life. And that will transform you. God wants to use you, not because you're perfect, not even because you're good enough for the job, but he will use and often does use people who are failed, repentant, sincere, confessing Christians who can only say, I love Jesus. And what God has entrusted to your care has not been given to you because it's about you in any way. It's about him. 
the Bible continually says that the most important thing is that we would have this fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Good leadership begins with fear of the Lord, the Bible says. If you understand that every person and everything in the world belongs to God, and that one day you will give an account to God, and if you know that God loves you and that entrusts you with this responsibility, you are more likely with that kind of holy fear treat others and love others the way that God has called you to. Peter is given a great responsibility. You are as well. Not because you're the most qualified, but because God makes you qualified. Fourth, cost. Verses 18 and 19. Peter then hears a message about his own future. As Jesus says to him in 18, Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but you're, when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you to where you will not, do not want to go. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to glorify God. Now, remember earlier, Peter had said to Jesus, where you're going, I'll follow you. And Jesus said, where I'm going right now, you cannot follow me, but one day you will. Well, here we discover that Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you're going to die a horrific death. It's going to be a painful death, and I, Jesus, will be glorified in it. Peter, you will suffer for me. And Peter is up for it. Here's something that we sometimes forget to do when we're reading a text like this. This restored Peter around the fire with his Savior. This cowardly Peter, this very Peter, writes the book of 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, I want you to see what Peter says. He says to his audience of Christians, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. This is the same Peter that couldn't endure three, hey, are you with Jesus questions? He is now writing and saying, hey, when that fiery trial comes, don't be surprised as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let's just be totally honest. We as Christians do not expect to suffer. I think if you could bring one of the early Christians into our world, the thing they'd be most surprised by with Christians today is how Christians just do not expect to suffer. Suffering was like everything that they went through. And Peter, who couldn't remain faithful around that first fire, is now, with the knowledge of his death, he is calling people to rejoice. He's not riding in some bunker where he doesn't know his outcome. Peter is going to be crucified, but he says we ought to rejoice. This isn't abstract for him. 
he says, rejoice in our suffering. Why? How is Peter ready now to die? How do you go from, I won't admit that I'm with you, to I will die with joy for you? How? It has to do with this restoration moment that we're looking at in John 21. And it's got to be related to something Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter uh, 5 when Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While Peter was denying Christ, Christ was dying for Peter. <clears throat> for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Peter knows his failure and he knows his savior. He was unrighteous, he was unworthy, and yet he was forgiven and rescued and restored and entrusted and filled. You will never be able to suffer well until you see Jesus' suffering for you. You'll never get it. You'll never get the puzzle pieces together. You'll never do it. You'll, you'll never be able to say, Jesus, I would happily suffer for you until you've understood that he suffered for you first. You'll never be able to love Jesus well until you first see his love for you. The cost of the Christian life is Christ suffers for us and we suffer with Christ out of great joy so that we might be like Christ and glorify Christ in our difficulty. I say this to you while some of you are not suffering in preparation for the day when you will. And I love, as we close, that right after Peter is told, follow me, Peter, you're going to die, Peter loses focus. Verse 20 through 23, Peter looks back and he sees John, and he goes, he has a question about John's future. He, he wants to know if John is also going to Remain until you come back again. And Jesus says, Peter, you've already lost focus. Just follow me. It is so easy to get distracted. The whole Gospel of John is about focusing on Christ. Keeping our focus on him. John says, he tells us once again why he's written this book. This whole book of John is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing in him, you will have life in his name. John concludes by telling you that he is an eyewitness who wrote these things down and he, and he wants you to know that Jesus did so many things that the libraries, the books in his day couldn't contain all of them. But these are written so that you would have life in Jesus' name. So let me just wrap up. Once again, brothers and sisters, see your failure. Repent and confess. See the qualification. Do you love him? See the responsibility. 
take care of God's people. Parents, children, children, parents, elders in the church, church of the elders, friends of friends, employees and owners, bosses and employees. Take care of one another. That is the responsibility God has given to all of us. See the cost. Suffering is part of the Christian life. Use it to glorify God. But you'll never get that until you first see what he has done. And keep your eyes and focus on Jesus. Keep following Jesus, even when it's easy to get distracted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and uh, there, are, there are failures in this room. Sure, fail, we failed to love you as we should. We failed to sacrifice as we should. We failed to love our neighbors as we should. We failed to love our enemies. We've made promises that we'll never do that again, and then we fail. We use sometimes promises in order to get you to serve us rather than seeing ourselves as needing to serve you. And Lord, when we fail you, we, like Peter, we run from you. And you invite us to be restored this morning. You ask us this question. We ask right now that your spirit would just knock on the doors of our hearts. That you would ask us the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And that some of us would say, maybe for the first time in a long time, yes, Lord, I love you. Thank you that you can restore me, that I can't restore myself. Thank you that you call me into life with you when I do not deserve it. Lord, I pray that we would be good stewards of the relationships that you entrust us with. That we as a church would feed one another. We'd care for one another. We'd walk with one another. That we would be a church that, that out of love for you, deeply cares for this body of believers that you call our church, which is ultimately your church. And God, I pray that when suffering comes, we would rejoice in our suffering, not out of our own strength, but out of the joy that comes in recognizing what you have already done for us. There is no suffering we can face that can separate us from your love, from our standing with you. So keep our eyes focused on you, that we might follow you faithfully. And Lord, I ask that this morning, if there are people here who have not taken the step to turn from their sin, to confess their faith in you, to trust in you for the first time, that they would do so. We love you, Father. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel of John. Help us to see that our failures don't get the last word, but that you do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.